Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, why if you're a Labour supporter in Australia, this time round, you should probably vote Liberal because Steve Keen reckons the economy is about to tank. And why should Labour take the blame? What do you reckon? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Right, well, talk about a regurgitated idea. Steve Keen was talking on another podcast. Yes, I know. And uh, he suggested that now wasn't a good time to be in government in Australia. Then he wrote a blog piece on it, and now we're talking about it. So this is sort of third-hand news in a way. But look, you've said <laughs> this before, Steve. If the Liberal government wins, the uh, and of course the Liberal government in Australia is uh, what we'd call the Tory party in the, uh, in the UK. It's the right-wing government rather than being Liberal. But if the Liberal government wins the election in Australia then you reckon they're going to oversee a, a big downturn in the economy, which you reckon uh, rather them than Labour doing it is basically what you say. But you know what? If they've got good spin doctors, they can probably claim it's nothing to do with them. Politicians have done that so many times in the past, haven't they? Oh, well, they always try, but um, yeah, it's, it's, they always blame the previous government, but that would have been the previous government for, for three terms. Yeah, um, it gets a bit harder. So it's getting harder to blame a government that was at last in power a decade earlier. Um, so I, that's why I'm looking at this thinking, you know, normally I would um, be voting Labor in and, and voting Labor in this election as well, or voting Greens first and Labor second, uh, which you can do in Australia's preferential voting system, of course. But uh, looking at it, I thought like, there's been two other times that the Labor Party has won an election. Everybody's been absolutely enthusiastic about it on the progressive side of politics. And three years later, they're booted out uh, with an co- economic catastrophe that mm. was blamed on them, but was really just the, the manifestation of trends that were already well and truly in place before they got elected. Well, it took and- a while last time, though, didn't it? Because Labor, I mean, how much did they really suffer from the 2008 financial crisis? They took over from John Howard, uh, mm. and so I think they probably could sort of like legitimately say, well, okay, we should blame the our predecessors for that, and they tried to to an extent. So I'm not quite sure how many people actually blame Labour for 2008. And they I stayed They stayed in power till 2013. So they were there for a while. I mean, they went. They won another election after it, for example. They, they, they did. And uh, equally, you had an election won by Keating after the 1991 downturn, which you can certainly say was Labour's responsibility because they've been in power since 1983 or four. So doesn't that imply that it's not you're not getting the blame for the, the mess that the country's got into? It's, you're, you're getting the blame for, for not actually getting digging your way out of it to some extent but i think at the same time uh, as as soon as they like the, the classic i'm thinking of is the gough whitlam government which everybody blames uh, and then it includes the labor party itself blames labor being kicked out and being out of power for quite some years and after the rise of john howard as well on the failings of the whitlam government now i'm not going to defend their economic policy in some ways because i oppose their tariff cuts and a range of other policies they they undertook which they thought would make the economy more competitive, that actually hollowed out the manufacturing sector. Um, but 
but they were hit by the bursting of a property bubble in Sydney in particular that began to burst in 1973 just after they were elected. Mm. And the, the credit, and there was a global, it was not just a Sydney-based phenomenon, you found the same thing happening in America as well. There was a serious downturn in 74, 75. I really said that there's a dividing line between the, the post-war prosperity period, the what they call the golden golden age of capitalism, pretty much came to an end in 73, 74 around the world. And Gough Whitlam was unlucky enough to be the Australian Prime Minister at the time, so he copped the blame for this global phenomenon. Yeah. And equally, if you look at how Tony Abbott attacked uh, the Labor Party to win his his election against, what, in what, 2013 or whatever it was, um, he was blaming them for the global financial crisis, blaming them for not for the crisis itself, but blaming them for the remedies they took against it, the large-scale um, government spending, the cash handout, the mm. uh, building stuff in schools, the national broadband network, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And to whatever extent um, you, you can say it's the, the major factor, most of the electorate bought it. Enough to get him the prime minister. Well, they do, but they do, don't they? Because it's almost like people say, well, OK, government spending is something that governments have got uh, control of. I mean, your point is, you know, this high debt level in Australia, which is kept rising, the high public debt and household debt uh, is, is what's going to um, be the comeuppance. But, you know, did the government in the USA get the blame for the subprime crisis in 2007? I mean, George W. Bush was blamed more for racking up government debt than he was for the subprime crisis. That was the fault of the banks, not the government. So people assume that governments have got control of budgets, but they haven't got control of what, you know, of everything else that's happening in in the economy. They're, They're just, you know, very good at keeping a household budget, in other words. And anyone who racks that up uh, is uh, is doing bad. And that, and that seems to be the pattern in Australia and to a certain extent in the UK and certainly in the USA. Yeah, but of course, it's analytically it's wrong. Mm. Uh, but the thing is... But that's the way people get, think and that's the way governments the, get them to think. But that, that, that's that's true. And, but, and of course, it's the Labor Party as well as the Liberals in Australia's case, the uh, similar Labor and Tories in the UK, ditto the Republicans and Democrats in America. They all obsess about showing how they're good managers of a household budget when they're actually running a country. We are, uh, yeah, fiscal management, sound yeah, fiscal management yeah, is the yeah. phrase everyone uses. And that's, you know, the MMT debate is doing a, a, a welcome job of exposing the, the illogical elements of that. So, but the trouble is the electorate still goes that way and still looks at the short term. I think I, whoever is in power in the next um, three years in Australia is going to cop a load of uh, abuse from the other side, whatever side that might be, for the failings of the economy, when mm. in fact it's something which has been run up uh, particularly in Australia um, since, uh, well, it goes right back to, in Australia's case, that if you look at the debt bubble that began back in 1975 to some extent, but you can blame it on Keating, you can blame it on Hawke, you can blame it on, on Howard, letting all this stuff happen. And then the opprobrium is going to be worn by whoever's in power. We have, and then they will undermine the rest of their program. Right, it will. But isn't, isn't it going to be the case that, like, if Labor gets in, they're going to say, well, okay, we've got a problem here, we've got to spend our way out, and that's going to rack up government debt, whereas the uh, the other side, the other the other mob are going to say, well, uh, no, we're going to, you know, introduce austerity measures. We need to uh, we need to go through hard times and let's all pull together on this uh, because, you know, the, the, the situation is none of our doing. In either case, it's probably not going to have too much of an impact, except one of them is going to rack up huge government debt and, and they're going to get blamed for it. 
Well, no, I think I don't think that will happen. I think whenever this sort of thing happens and you have a rise in unemployment, uh, all the restraints that the conservatives put on their spending go out the window. Mm. They don't want to have a huge increase in unemployment on their watch, and they spend to to counteract it. This is this happened under Howard at uh, at, you know back in the two thousand when the when the stock market crash hit. Uh, and they thought there was going to be a recession. Then, bang up goes government spending at that stage. So, they, they, all their their principles are good for attacking the other side. But when they're actually in power, uh, they throw the principles away, which is a good thing because the principles are wrong. But but, so, but but I but I think what you would see is what I want is basically one party that's trumping how great they are at running a surplus to then find themselves running a deficit later on. Whereas if you swap parties in the middle and one's going to the surplus, the other to the deficit. Uh, and it'll be the the liberals running a surplus and Labor running a deficit. Oh, it's always Labor that gets it wrong. Mm. I want to show that the actual idea of running a surplus rather than running a deficit is itself wrong. And the best way to do that is to have the same party in power either side of this economic transition. Well, isn't it interesting in the United States, we've got a right-wing party, a right-wing government that is running a huge uh, uh, a huge government debt uh, and don't seem to be getting in any trouble for it. Yeah, and again, this comes down to the rhetoric, the rhetoric of politics, because mm. a large part of this, the, the, you, the, the conservative economic forces want conservative political forces in power. They've got them in that way in the States. They, and then once it happens, that's the main objective. Uh, the, 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 you use the deficit bashing when the other side's in power, which, of course, is what would happen in Australia as well if, you had a, a, if a liberal government is forced to run a deficit uh, in the next two years, courtesy of a collapse in the economy, then when they do it, the Murdoch press will be very quiet. But mm. if Labor does it, the Murdoch press will be blaming away, saying it's all the fault of, La- of Labor and Shorten. Got to get rid of these irresponsible broads and bring back the responsible Liberals once more. Yeah, and and just imagine that how much that ends up continuing to cloud the waters. So that's why I'd say I'd rather have a Liberal Party in power now running a surplus and a Liberal Party in power in one or two years' time running a massive deficit and just get rid of this argument that one car decided party of politics can be trusted to be the correct household managers, when in fact it's the household management analogy that's wrong in the first place. Well, if this is going to be so bad, and we, I mean, we've covered a lot of this before, but let's put some timing on it. Right now, we're seeing house prices are falling in, in Australia quite a bit. But we're not seeing mortgage defaults in any big way. Borrowing was actually up last month, believe it or not, uh, for, uh, for for mortgages. There's uh, there's a bit of softening in consumption, but, but not a great deal. So mm. the economy isn't exactly toppling over just yet, even though we've seen house prices falling in Sydney, what, 13, 14, 15% so far? Yeah, and the same thing applied in the States is what people don't realise is the timing of all this because the first thing to turn around is the rate of change of new mortgages. And if you look back at the American data, the American housing market actually peaked in 2006. It was falling from 2006 right through to 2008 and through to 2010. Now, the economic downturn began in 2008. So there's about a one and a half to two year lead of declining house prices before you start seeing impact on the aggregate economy. And the reason for that is it comes back to what actually drives house prices. And this is, here we go, slightly techo on, 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 a, on a podcast. But mm. my basic argument is say that the, you can do it in supply and demand as so long as you throw away the neoclassical obsession with equilibrium. The flow of supply, I'm going to pretty much leave that out of the question because um, part of the supply is turnover of existing stock of houses and that's got all sorts of social reasons behind it, you know, upsizing, downsizing, divorce, moving, yada, 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 as well as speculative selling. So that's 
that's very, uh, you, you can't tie that down economically. And the supply of new housing tends to be driven by expectations of rising house prices. Again, I'll leave that out just to simplify the analysis and focus upon the demand side. The flow of demand for houses, physical houses, is effectively new mortgages divided by the price level. When you rework it, that then says you've got a relationship between the flow of new mortgages and the, and the level of house prices. You ultimately can derive a relationship between the change in the flow of new mortgages and the change in house prices. And basically, if the change in new mortgages is positive, so the size of new mortgages is rising, house prices will rise. Now, that's the acceleration of mortgage debt. Now, that can turn negative while you've still got rising debt. You can be accelerating more slowly. Your acceleration can fall while you're still going faster. So that gets to be very tricky about acceleration, but acceleration is the first one to change. Then the next stage is if your acceleration declines enough, your velocity will reach a peak and start to fall. You're actually decelerating, so your velocity falls. The velocity one, which is the change in debt, that's what actually adds to aggregate demand. So the first thing to turn around is the rate of change of new debt. The second thing to turn around is the rate of change of debt. The latter is what gives you a downturn in aggregate demand. So the, the asset market turnaround precedes the economic turnaround and exactly the same thing is playing out in Australia right now. So it all looks hunky-dory, but it's not going to stay that way. And yet you've still got the same number of people wanting a house. And if they can afford a house now... What changes? I mean, you know, you've you've got your mortgage. Uh, you know, interest rates are down. If anything, they're going to get they're going to go lower. So the cost of servicing your mortgage, mm. if anything, is going to get less. So, what's going to change? Well, what actually changes is just the sheer momentum. Because if you have right, if you have accelerating house, uh, household uh, household credit, so the change in new mortgages is positive. That'll give you positive demand and rising prices. And it's a positive feedback in the sense of dynamics. One amplifies the other. When you have rising house prices, that's going to encourage people to continue rising at level of, of household debt. When you get to the when you get to a peak level of debt, and Australia has certainly hit that level with its household debt level. Household debt peaked in Australia, I think, in 2016, and it's been plateauing and starting to fall. That means your acceleration is on a hiding to nothing to hit negative, which it's, it's already done in terms of new mortgage, that the rate of change of new mortgages is negative. That gives you falling house prices. And then the same thing again, reinforcement, why buy a house when they're getting cheaper? And we're into that stage now, which means you're going to have negative acceleration of, of, of household credit, which we've seen in every other country on the planet that's been through this experience, including, of course, America. And that, that will keep on going until such time as the as the government kicks in with its spending, tries to turn the whole thing around. In America, they took until 2012. Mm. So you had a period of 2006 to 2012 of, of, of negative credit and, and negative change in credit as well. 2010 is pretty much the turnaround point, actually. Uh, but therefore, you had falling house prices in 2006 to 2010. Now... Uh, the Australian government will do everything it can to try to prevent that. They'll bring every other stimulus they can possibly throw it back into the system again. Yeah. So they'll try to stop it. But the momentum is so high, given that we've got you know, you know, the second highest level of household debt in the world uh, is our, as our starting point. Well, governments want to keep the house prices up, obviously, because they because people they don't want people to feel as though they're worse off in that the assets that they hold are worth less. But, but, but my question is, 
Um, in reality, you know, and a lot of people say this, look, our house prices have gone down. That means when I sell my house, I'm going to get less, but then I'm going to buy another house, which is going to be worth less. So I'm actually in the same position as I was before. So it, impact to them is is nil. Uh, the the benefit is obviously more people can get onto the onto the housing ladder because house prices are lower. So I'm just trying to see what what's the tipping point that that actually causes that to change. The tipping point is that the total demand in the economy is not just you know, uh, expenditure expenditure from existing money. There's expenditure from existing money plus change in debt. Do you want to get so, that? Do you want to get that phone? Huh? Is there a phone ringing? Oh, I heard something. Okay. Oh, okay. no, no. Okay, sorry. All right. Do you, okay, let's do that. Well, sorry, I, th- I heard something ringing in the background with you. I'll, I'll, I'll have to get my door open. I'll shut the door. It might be Nisa's phone. I doubt it's there. Okay. Okay, so let's let's pick up let's pick up with that question yeah. again. So my question, as you know, is you know I'm I'm moving houses, and so I'm no better off. Over prices are lower than more people can buy in. So what's the, so what so what's the tipping point? Well, the tipping point is that to sustain uh, the total demand of the economy is not just the turnover of existing money; it's the turnover of existing money plus credit. And when the plus credit is a plus, then you get a high level of aggregate demand. And this is for both goods and services and asset markets as well. Mm. Uh, you can't differentiate the two when you look at the world in a monetary way. Uh, now, when that plus credit, and it's like in America's case, was 15% of GDP, then effectively you had about like 115% of GDP being used by goods and services and assets as well, right. booming economy. When that credit went from plus 15 to minus 5, you went from 120% to 95% of GDP. That's a 20% fall in the scale of aggregate spending. Right. So when um, I buy a house that's much more expensive, I go to the bank, therefore I borrow more money from the bank, I pay more for that house, that means the whoever sold me that house has got more money and that, that money stays in the economy longer. That's basically what we're saying. Well, what I'm also saying is once it goes the opposite direction, you have yeah. a recession. Yeah. And people lose their jobs. They can't support the uh, – the, 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 they can't support the um, repayments they're facing. So the, the 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 mortgages going sour is a, is a lagging indicator mm. of this decline in credit, and once it hits, it's a runaway process. But how and- but for how long? Because if we look at employment, for example, I mean, U.S. employment picked up pretty quickly after two thousand eight to such a point now that they supposedly have the lowest number of jobless claims in almost fifty years. And you know, we're not that long after the crisis. Well, about it, we're going in the case of America, where we're about 12, 11 years after the crisis, and a massive level of government spending and QE as well. Mm. Now, I expect the Australian government and the Reserve Bank to be the dodos they've shown themselves to be so far and just copy what's been done overseas. So they'll go into QE as well. And I expect that to happen with the Reserve Bank probably the middle of 2020 or something like that. And that, uh, even though it's a very wasteful way of doing it, a very inefficient way of pumping up the Main Street economy, it pumps up Wall Street 10 times as much as it pumps up uh, Main Street, as as, uh, Mm. Michael Hudson put it. It still works. And that will, I think, stop the the decline in Australia by about, say, 2021, 2022. But you still face about three years of, of falling house prices, three years of rising unemployment, and three years of the government being forced to run a deficit. Now, if that's the Labor Party doing it, you can just, you just, I don't need to see what the Murdoch press will be saying. Uh, and enough of the public will buy that. And enough of the public still believes because people in general believe the government should be like a household and balance its budget. Uh, it'll be saying, oh, Labor can't balance it. The Liberals can. Let's bring the Liberals back in again. Yeah. What happens to the Liberals 
it's rather harder to make that argument. Well, yeah, but the Liberals will be saying, and this is why I just wonder whether you know what you're advocating, because you are saying in your article, uh, in, in your blog piece, that, you know, vote Liberal because basically it'll come back to, to bite them, uh, which is a bit, I don't know whether you should be telling people to vote for what they don't believe in, uh, because they could just make things worse, couldn't they? Because the, cause their out is very easy right now. They'll say, oh, look, it's trade wars. It's the slowing Chinese economy. Look, it's nothing to do with us. Well, they'll use all that spin, but it's it's very hard to use that spin when they've been selling the opposite argument all the way through. Uh, and they think that achieving a surplus is a good thing. Now, if you again from the modern monetary theory point of view, um, some one if you if you look at the total sum of savings globally, say aggregate savings are zero. Your savings transfers money from somebody else's account to your account. You save, they dissave. Um, so the government saying it's going to be saving running a take running a surplus, it's taking money out of the private sector. Mm. Just at the time, private sector would like to also stop borrowing money from the banks. Um, so what you've got is in two negatives, what's going to happen? Income will fall. So rather than being a good thing, it's going to be a bad thing. So why, do you, think, why do you think the U- UK economy is, is not as tragic as perhaps uh, the rest of Europe, for example, when uh, the, the UK government has done exactly what you're saying a, a Liberal government is going to do in, in, in Australia, basically impose, auster- you know, cut spending back as much as possible and introduce austerity measures? Well, in fact, I think the UK, if you look at the UK's recovery, there's plenty of arguments, uh, plenty of data to show it's the slowest recovery in the history of UK capitalism. Mm. So it, was, it wasn't successful at all. It was just you have such a class divide in the UK, they got away with it. Um, and, and the electoral system over there is such a disaster. At least one thing you can say in favour of the Australian electoral system, it more accurately represents the votes of the of the majority of, of, of people uh, who are voting, part because of the preferential system and, and partly because voting is compulsory. So um, I don't think a Tory policy in Australia would have worked anything like it did in the UK because you know, the level of unemployment, the, the, the level of misery that was imposed between 2010 and 2015 with a three-year electoral cycle, whoever was doing it would have been out of power. And the same thing would apply to liberals if they, if they did try to bring on austerity. Um, that might be their first bias because they'll think it'll work. What it'll do is slow the economy down even more and they'll be forced to go into reverse before the next election. So mm. uh, they, they will be, whoever's in power, in the next electoral cycle in Australia is going to be in a permanent state of trying to manage chaos. Right. But given the fact that there is this, uh, you know, that this right-wing press in Australia, they are going to side with the with the, the Liberal government, come what may. So if they say, well, our way out of this is austerity, then they'll get the backing for that. Labor comes along and says, uh, well, look, we're going to do a better job. We're going to spend more. And uh, then, uh, then people are going to say, well, look, it's your spending that has caused this problem. Uh, no, they can't say it's your spending because you haven't done any spending. Yeah, but... <laughs> But you look at okay, it's your your thirty. So look at what Labour say they're going to do. They're going to say we're going to stop those those cuts from the Liberal government. All those cuts we've seen to schools, to hospitals, to education. We're going to raise the living wage. We're going to protect the the ABC. Uh, and you'd say it's pretty easy at the superficial level to argue against that because all you need to say is, hey, look, Bill, where's the money going to come from? Uh, because yeah, of course, that, and that's exactly what's being used in this election. Yeah. And what I'm saying, if they actually won the election and then did those things, and the budget blew out, and there was a downturn in the economy as well downturn in the economy would be blamed on the budget itself rather than the forces that have set it up in the first place Yeah, beforehand. So I'd say let's leave that for a problem for the Liberals rather than the Labor Party government. Right. But the Liberals are going to make life worse. They're going, they, they are going to take at least what, you know, what, would, what you were assuming Labor would do would 
make the situation worse than it would be if you had a liberal government. And yet you're saying to people, vote liberal and make the country worse off to make a point. Um, I'm just going back to looking at the consequences of, of having a, a, the other side win uh, at a bad time mm. when they should have lost. And that, of course, the, the Keating, uh, the, when the Keating won what, what they called the unwinnable election in 2000, was that 1992 or 1993 against John Hewson? And what you had was uh, Keating, we had, we had the, the, the boom of the 87 stock market bubble, then the crash, then Keating and co and how um, and, and Hawke bring in the first time owners scheme to re-kick the housing bubble. You have a housing bubble going out to 89, that then crashes. Then Australia fell into the negative credit. Uh, and then at that stage, you, you, you'd had, um, I think, Howard had Howard been the previous leader. I, he'd been reincarnated and in so many times I lose track. But I, I think voted for twice, wasn't he? Three, yeah. I mean, three times in total. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Okay. But he, um, Hewson took over. Hewson put through a very economic, rationalist, neoliberal policy called Fight Back. Yeah. And because he couldn't explain how the value added tax would apply to a cake. Yep. at one stage, uh, and, and, and Keating campaigned brilliantly, it has to be said, of course. Keating won, despite the fact that he should have lost. Now, you look at the consequences of that. Ultimately, John Hewson gets deposed. John Howard comes back again. Uh, we get, effectively, the contents of the fight-back campaign anyway out of what Howard puts forward. The value-added tax, GST, as it's called in Australia, occurs anyway. Um, uh, it was, you know, you, you had years and years of a Liberal Party government pumping up the level of private debt by encouraging people to speculate, halving the rate of capital gains tax, bringing in the first home owner scheme again in 2000 after the stock market crash, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we got all of Howard's anti-immigration, racist, frankly, policies coming forward. The one good thing you're doing, of course, was the the response to the Port Arthur massacre and, and, and just restricting gun, control. gun ownership. Yeah. That was, you got to take my hat off to him for that. Uh, but in general, it was a, a very negative swing in Australia's culture overall. Uh, I remember uh, after his uh, Tampa speeches, just being on a train station one day, getting a train out to University of Western Sydney and asking a Chinese couple who were there you know, which side of the and which side of the station was the right line? Uh, they went to a station I didn't know, and they were visibly disturbed. They thought I'd better get a racist outburst from me, and that level of tension, the ugliness that's been developed in Australian culture, I really slate time to John Howard. Now, having met John Hewson on several occasions and watching his public utterances as well, he's far too decent a human being to have done that. Yeah. Now, if 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 Hewson had won the unwinnable election then that would have been the end, I think, of Howard. Uh, we would have had a, a Liberal government at that stage rather than the final Keating, Keating government. Uh, no great shakes, no great difference, in my opinion, at that stage. Um, and we had a better human being doing it and maybe not the same negative swing in Australian politics overall. So if I could go back in history and reverse my vote for Keating at that stage and get enough people, I would do it. And what we'd I'm all saying, be much clearer on how much tax we'd pay on a birthday cake <laughs> as well. I know, I've done that cake, a poor old John. <laughs> but, it could be a decent but, human being. We've right, got a very but, negative one instead of him. Right. So and I take, take on board all of that, but I mean, you make the point about losing an election because you couldn't explain the GST on a, on a birthday cake just shows, uh, you know, the way politics works. And, it's, and, and you, you look at what's happened... Nobody really understands the pros and cons of Brexit. It all, it, it's all been uh, sort of summarised in those words, taking back control. 
Uh, yeah, Brexit you know, means Brexit. Bre- yeah, exactly. I mean, no one really knows the intricacies of it. So, you know, once again, you know, we've got examples of uh, should democracy be uh, trusted with the people? But, but I mean, it does. It. I mean, there's a shallowness to politics. So what, I think what you're doing is giving people, the, you know, the, the idea that they are going to look at uh, what the causes are for the economy and uh, and and objectively try and lay the blame based on an understanding of economics that they don't have. L- let me give you an example yeah, that's true. Mm. of the shallowness of politics uh, in this Australian election, evidenced by the Liberal Party website. And people believe this. I don't get. To me, this is just incredible. You've got uh, there. You've got you've got a picture of Scott Morrison. Uh, talking to a pastry chef there's another photograph of scott morrison talking to a greengrocer there's one of him talking to a couple of pensioners there's one talking to a young family one talking to a young person in a in a supermarket a shelf stacker there's one talking to a, a, to a couple of young women so they're touching all the issues there we're there for the greengrocers for the old people for the uh, for the singles for the for the for women in each case scott morrison is wearing exactly the same shirt with his sleeves rolled up in exactly the same way so either scott morrison has only got one shirt or possibly all these photos were taken during the same photo shoot one day and we're expected to believe politicians have a a genuine interest in our welfare it's all just spin yeah uh, i can agree with that (laughs) that's the trouble uh that we've we've got a spin dominated personality dominated political system and one thing which uh, is makes me have the cynicism i have about uh, who you should vote for in an election is actually the result of a conversation with a member of the Rudd family, not Kevin, but Greg. Mm. And uh, some years ago, Greg, Red, Greg Rudd uh, uh, met me in the UK and it, as well as explaining what life was like with his, uh, his brother, uh, whom he hasn't spoken to, I think, for this stage for, for, for decades now because Greg wouldn't support Kevin uh, in the uh, in the Labor Labor Party challenges, but uh, he said, "Look, the whole idea of electing your tribe, effectively your tribal leader, to run the country, and then having the other tribe opposing you, uh, is a throwback to the days when effectively we were, we were competing tribes. Now our problems are really the complex, the, the, the dynamics of the complex system in which we live." Mm. Uh, that is you know, bringing our, 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 our ecology under as well as our politics. And we can't afford to have people who don't understand complex systems managing complex systems, yeah. nor, nor can we afford to have, um, uh, you know, a, 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 we, we, it isn't even the people that matter. It's actually the systemic thinking that we need to have. And we don't have any way to achieve that at the moment. So he's saying that the whole idea of politics in the first place is just the wrong way, think one way to go about it. And I have to agree. Mm. This, this is the um, Well, there's uh, a big question. What's, what's the alternative, isn't there? I mean, but I mean, you, yeah. you, the, the, I mean, Brexit is a clear example of that, isn't it? It's a complex question with a, with, a, with a binary answer. And that's why we've reached loggerheads with it. And then we look at issues like climate change, for example, how, how is the world ever going to resolve climate change, so long as we've got politics? Yeah, and that's the trouble. We're not going to resolve it. So, uh, so in that sense, uh, I'm much more cynical about politics. I mean, I, I had that cynicism beforehand. I, I shared uh, Greg Rudd's opinion of it overall, but I, I didn't see the, um, the, the clarity he had was um, quite a nice thing to experience. You really need to be effectively selecting a council of elders in that sense, so, you know, experts in various fields, united by 
a, a capacity to see this, the economy, this society as a complex system. Um, so you're talking about applying the intelligence we've developed through our computing and system dynamics understandings. Uh, and getting those to make the, the the difficult decisions we face. Well, but- some some would argue that is that that is the, uh, the the case behind the House of Lords. You know, you have experts rather and than they're not experts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, but the, in theory, that is the idea yeah, behind the House that's, of Lords. That's the argument. But yeah, but it has. It, 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 we need actual genuine experts. Mm. Now, the thought is, we're going to instead have the the mob we have at the moment. Uh, not exactly a desirable idea. Yeah. So this this is this is the dilemma. I think that's... Um, well, and in answer to, to this dilemma in the short term for the Australian election, I'm not sure I agree with you because I think uh, if, you, if you vote for the, uh, for the mob that you think is going to be tarnished most by what's about to happen to the Australian economy, I'd say people soon forget and the spin doctors will be out in force. I think you should vote for whoever you think is going to uh, try and rectify the situation as much as possible. Well, I'm, I mean, that thing, I think, no, I'd, I'd actually go for the ones who are, uh, should wear the opprobrium for what went wrong last time round. At least get some political clarity for the electorate, because otherwise they're going to say, it. yeah, as they said, it was Gough Whitlam's fault back then, uh, it was Keating's fault, now it's going to be Shorten's fault. And it, it is just not how the real world operates, but it's how people think about the real world. Mm. So um, that is my, that's my dilemma. I, I just, uh, and, and that front, I think, well, actually this time round, uh, I'd rather see the Liberal Party carry on and run into this brick wall and ha- and and be unable to explain it the way they'd like to explain it. That, to me, is is more desirable than putting a Labor Party government in there because, and this is the point I make in the in the uh, I haven't actually posted the blog post yet. We actually post them together. I think mm. my argument is the way we think about politics is like two opposing football teams, and you want your team to win. And my perspective is, in fact, it's like you, you've got a, two teams. One is called the real world. The other's the other's human society. Uh, the political parties and you, the voters, are all on the same side. Um, you are now facing realities about to mug you big time with some gigantic change, climate change being one, obviously, in Australia's case, also a bursting debt bubble. Uh, you've got a choice of passing the ball to the side you like or the side you don't like. Who would you like to have be mugged by reality? And my feeling is I'd like to have the Liberal Party mugged by reality this time round, simply because they're in power for the last, you know, X many mm. years, six years. But the mud on the other side. Yeah, but the mud isn't gonna stick. That's my that's my concern. But look, we could talk about this forever, couldn't we? But and we are, we we have po- you have posted your article, of course, because because uh, we've now decided that they're both getting posted on Monday morning. And uh, so oh, okay. Uh, okay. so, that's so- it. <laughs> <laughs> so people will see the two together. Look, you know, I was in a good mood when we started this. I'm not so, you know, I'm not so uh, uh, optimistic for the world now. Thanks for that, Steve. Uh, we'll You're catch welcome. you again next time. Well, before we go, I want to get a little data. Let's finish up on one little thing. I mentioned about the acceleration, change, and level of debt. Yep. I've just got the data here. The turner, the the maximum point for. Uh, acceleration of household debt, which is what drives change in house prices in America, was the end of 2004. The maximum date for change in private debt, which is what drives aggregate demand, was halfway through 2006. So in that sense, there's a about a two-year lag between right. the, what happens in the property market, what happens in the real economy. So 2021 is not looking good for Australia. Not a good time to be in power. All right, okay. We'll leave it there. Great to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again soon. Okay, Matt. Bye. 
And next time, outsourcing. Lots of companies do it because labour is cheaper overseas, of course, in many cases. But we know it's not good for the economy. But will it go on forever? Economic theory would suggest at some point salaries around the world are going to balance out. So there's going to be no advantage. But no sign of that happening anytime soon, if ever. So are import tariffs and protectionism the only answer? That's next time with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. 